0: but we can also be controversial. Stay tuned for the next 25 minutes as we're called by the Divine Trumpet to summon the troops for the honor and glory of her King. Here's our host, Pastor Mike Abendroth.
1: Welcome to No Compromise Radio Ministry. Today is Tuesday, just two days after Christmas, but we're still on the Christmas topic. Getting ready for New Year's. And I'm your co-host, J.C. Ryle. Well, there is a Ryle that has written recently, but I think that would be... I was going to say Paul McCartney's (laughs) Well, because he did that hippos in the garden. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, that's right. Uh, Today on No Compromise Radio, we're going to start off with a little insight from a six-year-old girl who is in a public school. And then we'll get to our Christmas quiz for Steve. Pasto Mike. Pasto Mike. Um, The teacher, by the way, Steve, was trying to explain evolution to the children. So Mm -hmm. here's what he said. Oh, yeah. Tommy, do you see the tree outside? yes. "'Do you see the grass outside?' "'Yes.' "'Go outside and look up and see if you can see the sky.' "'Okay, yes, I saw the sky.' "'Did you see God?' "'No.' "'That's my point. "'We can't see God because He isn't there. "'He doesn't exist.' A little girl spoke up and wanted to ask the boy some more questions. The teacher agreed. "'Tommy, do you see the tree outside?' "'Yes.' "'Tommy, do you see the green grass outside?' "'Yes.' "'Do you see the sky outside?' "'Yes.' "'Tommy, do you see the teacher?' "'Yes.' Tommy, do you see her brain? <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> no. Then, according to what we were taught today in school, she must not have one. That was just a free little, you know. That was just a free humor for for what it's worth. Worth every penny that you paid for it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's right. All right. Today, since it's two days after Christmas, we are going to get into some Christian lore. Some Christian legends, fables. What would be another synonym for fable or lore or legend? Well, story.
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd prefer, uh, you know, history.
1: <laughs> okay. There are many myths that surround Christmas time, and I'm holding my paper so Pastor Steve can't see. Okay. He's he's smarter than I am, but I have the notes, so we're I'm using that to true, my advantage. True on both counts. <clears throat> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Many surround Christmas time mm-hmm. these legends and lores, and okay. I found some on the internet. False. So I'm going to ask you a question, and then you're going to try to give me the answer. Okay. okay? Yeah. In Syria, Syria, Christmas gifts are distributed by. How are Christmas gifts distributed uh, in uh, Syria today? In post, terms of their post, lore, not post, not post. UPS or anything oh, okay. like that. Back in the day, uh, camel. You are so right. You're a cheater. I just hit Steve in his bad shoulder. Oh, one of the wise men's camels, the gift-giving camel, is said to have been the smallest one in the wise men's caravan. So when you go to a nativity scene and you see the little camel that couldn't, he's usually the one that does. Well, that's my one lucky guess. <laughs> yeah, that is amazing. Steve, when you see a nativity scene on December 27th, what do you usually think? day late and a dollar short? <laughs> I...
2: Yeah, I, although, you know, we were driving by the uh, local congregational church the other night, and they actually had one out there. Um, a lot of people out there,
1: too. Was G, was Jesus smaller than Mary?
2: <laughs> I think so. I think so, too. <laughs> yeah, because people like the little baby. They don't like the, you know, the grown Jesus. I mean, they're really not going to like the grown Jesus who comes back to judge the world. They're not going to like
1: that one. But uh, That yeah. is so true. Well, Steve, you are batting 100%. They yeah. say batting a thousand a thousand. Why do they say batting a thousand when they mean hundred uh, percent? you know because if you're batting 354, you're really batting 35.4 percent.
2: Yeah because I, I, I just don't think it has the same ring. All right. What's his batting average? 30.4 30. 35 point it, it wouldn't sound good because we'd all know that was a failing grade, whereas it sounds pretty good to say that he hit 354. You
1: know? that sounds a lot better than 30. yeah 335. 30, yes in Greek legend malicious creatures called kalakantroizoi sometimes play troublesome pranks at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. To get rid of them, you should. What do you do to get rid of those people? Those little malicious uh, creatures, those little mm-hmm. gnome-like chant things. Hare Krishna.
2: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you, you know why I said that, right? No. What George Harrison, when he was confronted an, an intruder... Oh yes, now I know. Please explain that to us. Uh, George Harrison didn't. He, he, he was a Beatle, but he didn't. Uh, he didn't really believe in a whole lot of security, and so a, a madman broke into his house and was standing on the uh, or standing on the lower port of uh, floor of his house and yelling up at Harrison, "You know why I'm here? You know why I'm here?" And Harrison went out there and basically just started chanting Hari Krishna at him, which resulted in. Uh, Harrison getting
1: stabbed I think uh, about 20 times did he get stabbed once for every time he said Harry (laughs) maybe he thought he was saying Harry Curry Harry 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 Nilsson that's what he thought was Harry Carey Uh, if one of these people try to play a prank on you the legend says that you should burn either salt or an old shoe because that drives them off another effective method includes hanging a pig's jawbone by the door and keeping a large fire so they can't sneak down the chimney See, my next
2: guess was going to be saying smearing mentholatum in your hair. That was going to be my next one, but I guess that would have been wrong, too. <laughs>
1: okay. All right. Which of the following was not one of the three kings? We know their names, by the way, and I want you to, to tell me which one wasn't his real name. Wenceslaus. <laughs> <laughs> Casper. Belthazar. Yeah. Melkoi. I think it was Casper, and you know what? I don't have the answer on that one.
2: Yeah, how dope is that? Yeah, I I don't remember King Casper, although he did have a really nice TV show, Casper. That is bad. I don't have the deal. You don't Hmm. have the answer. No, I don't. Then it must be right. Who? who, You know what? Steve
1: three then. Steve, I'll grant you that. Okay. But who reads these things before we start the show? Our our crack research staff. (laughs) Obviously, nobody. (laughs) A boar's head is a traditional Christmas gift. It's also a Christmas dish, if I can see. Mm. According to a popular story, the unlucky boar whose head began the custom in the Middle Ages was killed by what and how? Uh, Bad wine. Excellent guess. Choking to death on a book of Greek philosophy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A university student saved himself from a charging boar by ramming a book of Aristotle's writings down his throat, then cut off the boar's head and brought it back to college. At least it wasn't (laughs) plato. Well, you know what? The first time I wrote, I read uh, Socrates. I got a Charlie (laughs) horse in my brain. (laughs) Which popular Christmas song was actually written for Thanksgiving? Oh, Jingle Bells Really? Was yes. it for Thanksgiving? 1857 James Pierpont and was originally called One Horse Open Sleigh
2: and One Horse Open Sleigh yeah. hey.
1: Joy to the World is actually written about which coming of Christ? The first or the second?
2: Well, I'd have to say the second It is, it's yeah. the second Let
1: earth receive her king and they wouldn't we wouldn't really think of them that way the first time. Uh-huh. Was, yeah. Steve, if you were given some frumenti at a medieval Christmas party, mm-hmm. you would probably what? Put it in my underwear drawer. I mean,
2: that sounds <laughs> fruit, <laughs> fruit of the loom. <laughs> what, what is that?
1: <laughs> you would probably eat it because it was a spiced porridge both... Enjoyed by the rich and poor, it was a forerunner of Christmas Frum- wait. puddings. Frumenti sounds Piggy like frument
2: sounds like it's some kind of alcohol. Like- I wouldn't do anything with it.
1: Just- I, w- I wouldn't do anything with. It. In the Ukraine, oh, by the way, that frumenti was also uh, had its origins uh, regarding the harvest god, Dagda. Dagda, good old Dagda. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the Ukraine if you find a spider web in the house on Christmas morning it is believed to mean what Santa didn't clean <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't. it's meant to mean good luck on christmas morning a poor woman who could not afford decorations found that spiders had trimmed her child's tree in their webs with their webs when the morning sun shone on them the webs turned to silver an artificial spider and web are often included in the decorations for ukrainian christmas trees I always
2: wondered where the idea for tinsel came from. Now, I, you know, I thought it had to do with icicles. No, it was spider webs. What
1: See, do, there do you I go. Yeah. Well, where are we going theologically? We only have a couple more to go. I don't know, but it, it looks like we're heading into a dead end. <laughs> In many countries, Christmas is considered a propitious time for fortune telling. Mm-hmm. In Switzerland, an onion and salt are traditionally used to predict what? You use salt and you use onion. Uh, and, what you're going to get for Christmas? Yeah, bag of gold. (laughs) It's going to predict the weather for the coming year. The grandmother of the house cuts an onion in two and peels off 12 layers. Each layer represents one month in the coming year. Each is filled with salt. If the salt is dry on Christmas morning, the corresponding month will have fair weather. If damp, there will be rain. I
2: don't know. If that was me, I'd feel a little bit fleeced.
1: Well, then you need to return to your underwear drawer and get some long (laughs) underwear. (laughs) And then number 10, the most misconceived out of them all, Jesus was born on December 25th. That's a misconception, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I'm sticking with April 15th.
1: Though Christians had adopted that date by 336 AD, Christ was born when the shepherds watched their flocks by night, most likely spring. The Bible tells us Herod the Great ruled Palestine when Jesus was born. Herod died 4 B.C., so Jesus had to have been born not long before that. And then this little writer says, blame Dionysius' exodus that's right there, G-U-U-S for this one. He's the 6th century monk that came up with the idea of splitting history into A.D. and B.C. He just chose the wrong date to do so, that's
2: all. Oops! <laughs> slight slight
1: miscalculation. Uh, the, the rest of the show, Steve, I want to talk about the importance of the Incarnation especially when it comes to the eternal counsels of God, that is the eternal everlasting covenant that some call the covenant of redemption, and why was it important for Jesus to take on a body so that he could be our representative and substitute. Let's so talk about so that. So we're going to redeem the rest of the show then. Yeah, 10 minutes of horror, but I thought you did pretty pretty well. You're you're an expert at with humor responding to my dopey questions. Thank you. Thank yes. you very much. So all right, here's the deal. Let's talk about first Jesus as representative and and secondly, substitute. Substitute's the mm. easy one, but representative. Jesus as a representative does what we couldn't do. Jesus as substitute dies in our place. So let's first talk about active obedience of Christ, Jesus our representative that He lived fully discharging uh, obedience to God's laws then Jesus dying in our place as a penal substitute. So let's talk about the first one first. Steve, you're reading a new book now or a book you're reading with the guys on Saturday. Walk us through that and why representative uh, nature of Christ is important.
2: Yeah, having to do with the act of obedience of Christ. And, you know, the the main thing is somebody, uh, we were talking about this earlier, somebody had to obey the law. I mean, God gave us a law. He said that uh, if we obeyed it, we would live. There would be penalties, namely death, if we didn't obey them. Uh, We don't obey God's law. Adam didn't even obey the the commandment that God gave him in the Garden of Eden. I mean, there's never been an easier thing to do than to obey God when you uh, are with him on a daily basis, communicate with him all the time, and he gives you one rule. He says all he says is you can have anything you want. All you can't do is eat of this one tree and... You know, Adam and Eve couldn't even couldn't even make that. But, uh, you know, later on, when the full law is revealed, uh, even though we're told in the Bible that we have God's law in our heart, the, the law was explicitly given through Moses. And did anyone ever obey it? Was salvation ever possible by virtue of obeying the law? And the answer is no. But somebody needed to do that. Why? Because we had to in order
1: to get into heaven, we have to be perfect. We have to be perfectly obedient, and we are not. We're talking today on No Compromise Radio. We're trying to clean up our mess with the Christmas traditions, and now talking about the reason for the Incarnation. Uh, Steve, when I was younger, uh, when I was a younger Christian, I think I, I don't know, maybe I misunderstood the Incarnation, or I didn't really think it was as valuable, because I grew up in a a Judeo-Christian background where Christmas was important, Jesus became a baby and all that stuff. But the more I grow in Christ, the more valuable the incarnation becomes to me. Because as we talked earlier in in the in our study, when Jesus says to the self-righteous lawyer, do this and live, I, I think he's serious. I don't think he was saying to the self-righteous lawyer, do you know what, this is just a... Uh, It's impossibility that if you do this, you won't really live. It was impossible for him to do it. That's for certain. But if it was possible for him to do it, would he have in fact lived? Yes. And so here we have Jesus saying, "Do this and live." And we need somebody to do that and live because, like the lawyer, we can't obey God. We can't always obey. We can't perfectly obey. Do this and live. He didn't say do your best. Uh, make it happen. Do this and live. I need somebody who's a human to live in my place.
2: What about 400? What if you could just get 40 percent, you know, hit 400, batting for 400? Yeah, you'd be
1: in the Hall of Fame and baseball. But <clears throat> in God's eyes, you you might as well have zero. One article said this doing is essential to understanding the perfect performance of his law that God expects of his Image bearers. Our Lord summarized his entire earthly mission by saying that as the Son, he was unable to do anything on his own initiative. He does only what he sees the Father doing, John chapter 5, verse 19. To John the Baptist, he declared that he had to come to fulfill all righteousness, Matthew 3. Righteousness was something he had to do, do righteous things do righteous acts, and we have fallen short, and we need a Savior, not just to die for our sins, but to live for us as representative.
2: Okay. So we needed somebody to obey in our place, because we were never going to do it, and it's that perfect obedience that, uh, dare I say this word, merits heaven.
1: Perfect obedience merits heaven. We just know we're not the perfect ones, so we have a works salvation the work of Christ earned our salvation amen interestingly talking about doing things jesus john 434 my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work i'm glad he did that and he did that because the father sent him and that his obedience is credited to our account why do we call that active obedience wasn't jesus actively doing things on the cross what's going on there steve well because
2: prior to the cross he was actively obeying all the things that we are commanded to obey and don 't um, he did everything perfectly, you know he never did anything that he wasn 't supposed to do and he you know if we, if we were to just summarize as Jesus did the Ten Commandments in "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul mind and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, we understand that we don 't do that. Well, Christ did all those things perfectly in our place because we we needed that.
1: I like to listen to S. Lewis Johnson, as you know, and S. Lewis loves to quote Thomas Goodwin, the Puritan Thomas Goodwin. There's a lot of Thomases who are Puritans, by the way. Thomas Watson, uh, Thomas Perkins. No, no, that wasn't Thomas Perkins, was it? Who was the Perkins? Oh, don't tell me. I don't know. Um, But Thomas Goodwin said that all men were hanging on Adam and Christ's girdles. What does that mean what does that conjure up in your mind
2: well i i don't know but i would say this that basically we're all we're all aligned we're on one team or the other that's right we're, we're either on adam's team or we're on jesus team and we're either in adam or we are in christ and there are there's
1: uh there are no
2: other positions there are no other teams as it were
1: I like that. Romans chapter 5 makes that very clear that we were all born with Adam as our federal head, and all Christians now have Jesus as our federal head. And Steve, as I was thinking about active obedience, Jesus had to be a God man. Interestingly, he's never called man God because he was God first and then added human nature. But Jesus is God man, and his man, his humanness allows. Him to be our representative, a human perfectly obeying the law and getting exactly what he had earned. But since he's God, with an infinite amount of this righteousness earned, or merited, or accrued, he is able to bestow uh, uh, an infinite amount of righteousness uh, to all those who would ever believe. In other words, this is a divine righteousness, and it has an infinite value. Therefore, he doesn't just bestow it to the thief on the cross, but we all get that wonderful righteousness from God and of God.
2: That's right. Just as we all get the same uh,
1: infinite forgiveness of sin based on his on
2: his sacrificial
1: death. So when you think of Jesus's life, think about how he had to be our representative. He had to do things in our place. Then think of Jesus's death and Jesus would be our substitute. Tell us a little bit about substitutionary atonement. I mean, it's
2: pictured often enough in the Old Testament, uh, all the animals that were slaughtered and everything just pointed to Jesus Christ, the animals themselves, all those sacrifices never uh, removed any sin, but basically pointed to what he would do. Um, So essentially what we have on the cross is the full wrath of God for every sin of every person who would ever believe. Just focus, just concentrated and poured out entirely upon Jesus Christ on the cross. He suffered as no one has ever suffered or will ever suffer. Um, I mean, taking the infinite wrath of God for all eternity, for the sins of all those who would ever believe, that's a lot of wrath. That's a lot of pain. That's a lot of suffering.
1: Steve, when I think of Christ's death and how awesome It must have been how awful it must have been. Christ's life never, even though tempted, never giving in to any temptation. And then you just think about the majesty of the second person of the Trinity and what he had accomplished and how condescending his love was for us. Then when I read this from the Episcopal News, the Diocese of Los Angeles, Uh written by Reverend Benison, who is the rector of St. Mark's Church in Upland, California— uh, it's 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 pretty bad. Okay, and so I do like Upland, California, because they have a good In and Out Burger there, but the theology is not that good. They have a lot of smog there too. There are few causes to which I'm more passionately committed than that of Santa Claus. Santa Claus deserves not just any place in the church, but the highest place of honor, where he should be enthroned as the long bearded ancient of days, the divine and holy one whom we call God. Santa Claus is the is God the Son. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town, which simply refers to God the Son slipping into the secrets of our hearts as easily as he slips down the chimney of the house. Two more paragraphs, sadly. Santa Claus is God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, in whose hand is a pack bursting at its seams with the gifts of his creation. Santa Claus is God the Holy Spirit, who comes with a sound of gentle laughter, with a shape like a bowl full of jelly, to sow in the night the seeds of good humor. Santa Claus indeed deserves the exalted and enthroned place in the church, for he is God, Son, Father, and Holy Spirit. So there he is, God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. I've seen him in the toy store. I've seen him in the car on the freeway. And when I saw him with his crazy beard and his baggy red suit, I saw more than the seasoned merchant of cheap plastic toys. I saw no less than the triune God,
2: You know, in the beginning, I was laughing in disbelief. And then as you continue to go on, I'm like, that is horrible. I mean, it just doesn't get any worse than that. Listen, if I showed up at a church on... Well, any day of the year, I don't care if it was a Thursday, you know, in June and they had, uh, you know, Santa Claus and let's all worship Santa Claus. I, I just couldn't get me out of there fast enough. That is horrible for someone who says, I'm a man of God to, you know, promote basically the worship of Santa Claus.
1: Don't you think it's kind of a modalistic Santa Claus? Too? Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah. He's all he's father, son and spirit all in one. And, you know, it's just remarkable uh that's just that's goofy i mean i i guess i want to give him some kind of credit because at least he didn't say it was the easter bunny or something
1: (laughs) Well, for once steve i'm speechless but we started off with quizzing on legends and lore and i had to kind of finish at the end legends and lore i bet you could probably get some cheap chocolate santa clauses right now down at cvs or walmart what do you think
2: that, well, yeah, the after Christmas specials, those are the best times to get stale candy for the after holiday treats.
1: Mm-mm-mm. Actually, I prefer, you know, the uh, Christmas
2: M&Ms for the after
1: <clears throat> Christmas. Yes, specials. but you know what, Steve, with, with the incarnation and Christmas, it does prove the fact that God is still speaking now, doesn't it?
2: He is speaking. You know, I will I will readily say God is speaking through his word. You know, the question is, is anybody listening to his word anymore or not? If they were, we wouldn't have people promoting the worship of Santa Claus and, you know, calling themselves Christians. That is just bizarre.
1: Today on No Compromise Radio, we've gone from the arcane to the...
2: To the holy insane. and insane. And back to the insane. And yeah, to the yeah, asinine.
1: Yeah. Uh, we welcome you to write us at No Compromise Radio. You can write us at info at nocompromiseradio.com.
0: Steve needs a good email. So, many good send emails. Send it to Steve at No Compromise Radio. Millions of good emails. God bless you. No Compromise Radio with Pastor Mike Abendroth is a production of Bethlehem Bible Church in West Boylston. Bethlehem Bible Church is a Bible teaching church firmly committed to unleashing the life transforming power of God's Word through verse by verse exposition of the sacred text. Please come and join us. Our service times are Sunday morning at 1015 and in the evening at 6. We're right on Route 110 in West Boylston. You can check us out online at bbcchurch.org or by phone at 508-835-3400. The thoughts and opinions expressed on No Compromise Radio do not necessarily reflect those of WVNE, its staff, or management.